This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 480 for October 28th, 2015. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I am Macworld's senior contributor, Glenn Fleischman, and thank you for joining us again. If I sound any better this week than in previous weeks, well, that's because I have a little thing called gigabit internet, which we'll be talking about later in the podcast. But joining me, Green with Envy, is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. I am just, I'm good. And I've just been, I'm insufferable is what I am. I'm totally (laughs) appallingly insufferable uh, because I've been suffering with a terrible Comcast service for uh, a while. Um, But we'll talk about that in a minute. How's your week gone? It's going okay. Almost Halloween. I'm really excited. It's on a Saturday. What's your kid going as? uh, A fireman. A fire? uh, That's a classic and an excellent one. He Uh, went pretty classic. It was going to be Darth Vader. First it was an Ewok, then it was going to be Darth Vader. I actually bought him a lightsaber and a Darth Vader sweatshirt, and then he switched course and went fireman. Fireman with a lightsaber is a very popular choice this year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, younger son was fireman obsessed for many years. And when he arrived at a new daycare a few years ago, he was that age, he gets there and there's another kid also dressed as a fireman. It was, I thought there was gonna be a rumble, but instead they became good friends for a while until they weren't. (laughs) We had our field trip to the pumpkin patch last Friday and we drove another kid in our car and he said that he was going to be a fireman, but... He's also three, so he could just be lying to us all. Everyone. What? Yes. You can only trust about half of what they say. Uh, one of my older son's uh, friend's father is a fireman, so. Nice. Uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it is funny to be an actual fireman. I uh, catch myself waving at fire trucks now, even if my son is not with me, because that's just what we do now. We wave at the fire trucks, and it seems like the firemen really like to be waved at, so wave so at pro, a fire truck today. Pro tip, if you want to bring ice cream, or you don't want to bring anything to a fire station, bring ice cream, bring it in round containers. This is what we were told, and we couldn't <laughs> figure out why round containers, and then someone told us, not a fire person, this is a fire, a fire uh, employee, uh, not a firefighter told us this one. Did not know why the firefighters liked the round containers. Round containers are premium. Rectangular containers are store brand cheaper. So oh. bring firefighters premium ice cream when you visit and they will give you a nice tour. Uh, well, this is not the firefighting podcast, although we entertaining. It'll be fun to talk about. Just talk that was about a good but strange tip. Thank you. Well, you know, we try to provide tips for all aspects of your life. You have kids, you want to fire station. Life hack. Life hack. We need a little horn we can honk when there's a Round ice cream. Uh, but instead, instead of talking about firefighting, and that is a possible career for listeners, uh, Apple TV pre-orders uh, began this week. I have pre-ordered a unit. Have you pre-ordered one or more units? Yes, I did. Did you go with the 64 or the 32? I went with the 32. I still don't know why oh, I want a bigger one. saving the $50. I want 50 bucks off. I don't need a future-proof. If I need a future-proof, I'll sell this one and get the bigger one. But they haven't given me any explanation or uh, or reason. Actually, what's really annoying is I go, uh, you know, they weren't doing midnight pre-orders. So I wake up. I'm like, oh, well, this is something I'm not worried about, you know, backlog or whatever. I go to the Apple Store app on my phone, pick it. It's like, okay, shipping, the process for checkout is actually kind of annoying. And it's like, all right, you know, you how am I going to- stuff with your thumbprints. Yeah, no, but it's like, you're like shipping, but you can't do shipping. It's like, it tells you, then you have to tap a thing. So I'm like, all right, I don't want to wait until next week. I want to write about this thing maybe or whatever. So I'll pay, it's like $17, $17 to get it. $17, I paid that, yes. Yeah. The rush so shipping fee. I tap that and then I go to pay. But the my sucker print, fee. And it says, uh, <laughs> no, you can't, uh, the payment wasn't accepted. I'm like, it's your payment. So I go back. <laughs> they didn't accept Apple Pay. No, 
I'd go back, I set it up again, it accepts it, and then it had dropped the shipping option and me going back. Aww. So then I go, you have to go to the website, I cancel the order, then I go back to the app and I'm able to complete it successfully. So I've got two charges and a reversal charge and then somewhere along the line, Apple now has charged me 17 bucks again. I saw a different charge like <laughs> float over Amex. So I don't know, maybe I'll get two, maybe I'll get one, maybe one will come next week and one this week. It's the magic of online ordering. E-commerce is so efficient. That's weird. Yeah, the I last don't. few times I've ordered stuff from the Apple Store app on my iPhone, it's been seamless. And this time I used the just, you know, Safari on my Mac to order it. And I remember thinking at one point when I was like typing in my credit card passcode or whatever, like, oh, I should have done this on my iPhone. I could have just used my thumbprint. Well, you should be glad you didn't. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have two or I don't know what the heck. But uh, That's the good, strange. good news is we'll get to see later this week. I've been starting to get email from developers sort of quietly saying, hey, we made yep. something interesting. And it's going to be fun. I mean, there's some. The, it's the a thing, whole new app store to cover. It's great. <laughs> but the thing is, as, as far as I understand, unless I'm horribly confused, this is really for developers already doing iOS apps. Uh, you know, Mac apps, less so. I mean, it's still Xcode. But if you've already got an iOS app, it's not just a port, but this isn't like writing new software. You have to think about new interactions. But for some kinds of software, it's going to be a very simple transition to uh, to have it run on, on tvOS. Yeah. That, that's my understanding. It's, I mean, it's going to probably be one of those things like when iOS apps started popping up on the Apple Watch where maybe the first iteration, like they're, you know – that there, there's maybe some design problems or, you know, some things kind of feel more rushed than others. But I think when developers, I mean, some developers got development kits in hand. So it wasn't like the watch where no one had even seen the watch and they were trying to write for this thing. Um, you know, and everybody has a TV. They kind of know what a TV is like. But I think as um, more developers get the new Apple TV hardware and the Siri remote, um, you know, we'll see apps get more polish and, um, you know, more thoughtful interfaces for, for the big screen. And it's nice. It's useful from day one because if you have an Apple TV today, even without any change in apps, as long as – I don't, I don't know what Apple has ported. If they've ported every single thing that was on the, uh, the old Apple TV or not. But conceivably, you launch it and it's not like you're looking at a blank screen. You'll have mm – -hmm. All the Apple content you'll have ostensibly. I hope Hulu's there. I mean, I'm assuming day yes, one. Oh yeah, of course there. there. Right. HBO. Netflix is there. Yeah. HBO and Showtime because those were all mentioned specifically right. as being included in the Universal Voice search. Yeah, so we'll have a you'll have an array of things that you'll be able but to do. But they'll look better. They'll look like they look on the iPad. Like HBO on the iPad is a way better experience than HBO on the existing Apple TV. So I'm excited to have more. You know, I guess bespoke uh, interfaces as long as they're not really messy. Like H Netflix on the Roku looks better than Netflix on the Apple TV. It's just It just looks kind of dated and all the apps look the same, which is nice when you're trying to find things, but there's a lot of like clicking around to get places. It'll be nice having that touchpad on the remote to just scroll through things more quickly and fluidly. Yeah, I'm still um, trying to figure out, well, we have folders. Like if I start, if I have like a hundred apps, am I going to be able to organize them or am I going to have some big scrolly thing I have to deal with? Yeah, yeah. Organizing a big app collection is going to be messy. It might end up being like be? for me on the Apple Watch, I found too many apps getting oh. kind of clunky and it made me kind of narrow down what I really wanted to use on that device. 
I would know about that because I sold my watch, so I don't know it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, every time I think about the new Apple TV, I keep making these parallels in my head to the, to the Apple Watch because it's like it's the same Howdy. sort of you know apps and and ideas, but just on on a new device with a new interface and a new input kind of scheme. So yeah, I'm looking at the interface again, and you know Apple is really in this uh, in its advanced look here is really hiding the fact that they did not change that app approach. So if you have 50 apps, you're going to be messing around. I assume with the Siri remote, you'll be able to hold down, it'll jiggle and you can move stuff around though. Yeah. So you can reorder, but still it's just, you know, I wish they'd reconceived it because what they did, uh, I don't know. Folders, I don't know. Folders would be nice. Maybe folders will come. Or some, or just some kind of, I, it just, I feel like when you have the intelligence of watching what people do and trying to shape an experience to them, making everything static, uh, only makes sense with a limited number of choices. And when you start to reach a point, like the watch, it would make more sense. I mean, you don't want all your apps to move. You have like a physical sense of where they are, but it's also, you'd think that it could create uh, hierarchies or organizations or, or think about things that you're doing, you know, watch your behavior and improve upon it. I mean, that's what computer uh, machine learning is about and uh, it affects us. But well, we'll, so we'll get the, we'll be talking next week about the, the Apple TV because we'll, we'll have one and we'll have spent the weekend uh, binge watching shows, I'm sure. Yeah, if mine really arrives on Friday as scheduled, I'm shooting to have the review up on Monday. So, good luck to me. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> wish, wish me luck because yeah, that's gonna be fun. I'm really excited. I use my Apple TV all the time, every day. So it's, hey, uh, it's gonna be a big upgrade in my house. Pro tip is uh, actually like a pro tip and anti pro tip is um, I just subscribed to Hulu, which I'd had a Hulu. I don't even know if they call it a Hulu Pro subscription anymore. I don't think they, they dropped do. the Hulu the pro, Plus. Right? It's all just Hulu. Hulu Plus. Yeah. 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 So I had one a long time ago and dropped it because I didn't feel it was that useful. And uh, but Hulu is so obnoxious with ads now. I was trying to watch a movie the other day on it. Ten minutes in, it gave me 170 seconds of ads, and so I said, I said. Beep this, and I paid three bucks <laughs> to rent the film, which is maybe the strategy uh, from somebody else. But here's the thing: so uh, someone pointed out the other day, there's this new, there's Hulu uh, for uh, was it eight dollars a month, mm -hmm. which is with ads, and eleven dollars a month is without ads. Yes, but uh, some programming has ads embedded in it, and you can't just. It's they can't like a handful those. of shows yeah. that they couldn't get to do without ads, and I think on those shows, I think I read that they pack all the ads in the beginning. Oh, that's so good. you start the show, like go get you know another cocktail, and then come back and just watch a show. But the so these they remove all their automatically inserted. You know this ad will go on for eighty seconds. Tell us about the quality of this ad. Uh, here's the thing: I signed up because my kids like how it's made, and it's uh, not readily available. You have to pay for it pretty expensively in iTunes. So I thought, okay, well you know I'll try this ad again. Eleven bucks a month. It's fine. Sign up. It has every how it's made season. Well, a nice. week in. Most of the seasons disappear because a new season's on TV and they can't make the back seasons available. Oh, Some not. And I wrote them and they're like, well, our partnership agreement. And like, it's not bait and switch, but still. So I go to cancel it. I'm like, all right, well, we'll take a month of it. Lesson learned. They're like, hey, hey, don't leave. Do you want another month free if you stay? I'm like, yes, I do. Now it's 550 <laughs> for the first two months and I'll put a note and cancel. But I'm trying to use it more and I'm using it entirely through uh, the Apple TV. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a better experience. I used to have a it rigged up through a uh, Mac mini that was fed into a TV and was using an Apple remote and it was kind of an ugly experience. And, and so I'm looking forward to uh, trying out that more. Always yeah, trying like to cancel. Hulu. People will give you stuff. That's the motto. Cool. The story of the day. Uh, hey, so Facebook, um, we're, this is uh, our update on the Facebook Speaking app. Speaking of canceling things, canceling <laughs> let's things. talk about Facebook. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, they had a, a, a kind of a problem, which they've now admitted, right? 
Um, yeah, some there was uh, some attention being paid suddenly to the fact that Facebook is the the proper Facebook iOS app is a terrible battery hog. And um, somebody did an experiment where they turned off background app refresh, which should really help. You know, if you think about it, that's telling Facebook, look, I only want you to do stuff when I'm using you. And when I shut you down, like, you know, knock it off. And I think I had location <laughs> disabled on my Facebook app. And I, I had a lot of stuff, you know, shut down on it. But it was still always showing up at the top of my battery usage stats, which are in the settings app and uh, battery usage, you, you, you tap battery, and you can see which apps have been using your mo- the most, uh, the lion's share of your battery over the last day and over the last week. So I actually, um, just to see if this would help, I deleted Facebook oh, from, yeah. from my phone. And I'm a Facebook junkie, so that was weird for me. You can always use the uh, the website, though, right? You can go and use Safari. You can use the website in Safari. I don't really do that on my phone. I do that on my computer. Oh, but if you want temporarily to get, be without the app, you don't have to be without the experience. Right. It's there. Um, I actually went with Facebook Paper, which Caitlin, our staff writer, loves. And I was not in love with the interface, but I sort of like it. It kind of combines Facebook with sort of a news app kind of thing. You can put in different sections. So I have like a technology section and a food section. And it surfaces uh, articles that are being shared a lot on Facebook. So there's actually been some pretty good content in there. Um, And and then it also presents your friends' Facebook postings as a little, you know, flipboard-ish kind of thing you can swipe through. So – and. But it's got a few advantages over Facebook, the app. It doesn't use as much of your battery, as I said. And it's less creepy about, like, your photos. The Facebook app for iOS, if you um, have uh, authorized it to look at your photos, now every time when you open it, it has all your photos in a little strip across the top just ready in case you want to post them. And I'm like, no, I don't want to post, like, all these photos. (laughs) And I kind of resent you, like, showing them to me all the time. Like, that's creepy. Um, like, you know, engage, I know engage, that I like engage. authorized you to look, but like you're just kind of putting them in my face being like, look, we're looking at your photos. We looked at them right now. You want to post any of them? Oh, my God. So um, they have one of the greatest uh, 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 machine learning um, computer scientists in the world heads their division. So, you know, they are really they actually are looking at your photos. Yeah. And they're doing face recognition yeah. and all, all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still using Facebook, so it's probably, you know, they're probably still seeing everything. But but I'm using Facebook paper. There's also fewer ads. There's none of those, like, app install ads. For a while, there were no ads in it, but I f- think I just saw one the other day. Anyway, and you can still use Messenger inside Facebook paper without needing the separate Messenger app, which Facebook for iOS makes you use it'll mm-hmm. show you that you have new messages and then you try to tap on them and it's like psych you can't read these the future was so, supposed to be like uh, lots of different apps from the same company so they could fill up your screen and you make you think like you had an ecosystem when it's all still facebook yeah yeah and i mean i use other facebook apps like instagram is a facebook app but i love instagram so and then instagram has its layout app too so mm-hmm. yes they have a couple now. They have uh, what's the other one? Oh, they've got hyperlapse. Is that hyperlapse? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And then, uh, but I, I use layout thing. But yeah, so in the end, you could have like three Instagram apps and five Facebook apps, and suddenly your home your screen. Your whole is, home screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's their goal. That's why they introduced so that anyway, phone. 
Facebook put out an update and they say they fixed it, but they have those terrible release notes that are just uh, like, we update our app all the time and just don't you worry your pretty little head about what's in there. If there's something you need to know about, maybe we'll tell you when you launch the app, maybe. Or maybe you'll just start seeing a little strip of all your photos everywhere. And I think you'll Apple be like, should hey, reject. You didn't tell me you were doing that. Apple should reject incomplete and, and they should reject, I mean, of all things they should reject for, it's like release notes that are. Uh, that are those. stock and don't actually contain information. On the other hand, then Apple would have to not release software too because they do that. There's bug other fixes. apps that do it now too, and I'm convinced uh, that Facebook like started this trend. So. Yeah. As opposed to Slack, when Slack releases updates, the notes are hilarious. It's actually, like reading a, a short story, a novel. There's always somebody. There's like a little story inside the notes. It's good. I read all the update notes. Every app that I have, that I, I update them all manually because I want to read the update notes. And, and even the ones that just say like bug fixes, like that's that's something. Like I, you know, I can trust that you're not going to throw a bunch of weird new features features at me but the ones that are like we, we don't know you want to update go ahead live dangerously those well, annoy me this is an ios thing but i should note i just reviewed uh, pages 5.6 for os 10 it's up that on macworld.com that's right and uh the thing there is you know apple did make a you know a little splash about it and people were aware but from 5.5 to 5.6 the release notes are great because they added you know they basically restored a lot of missing functionality and um the release notes go into some depth about uh, all the new features, it's really almost like a 6.0, but they, they didn't want to tick it over because well, it's not really a full release, but it's it's what should have been there in like a 5.1 or a 5.0.1. Like, oh, yeah, we meant to put all this stuff in our rewrite, and we didn't. So here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So next, next up, uh, Apple says, hey, we can't pull your data off your phone even when a court asks, uh, which is an interesting story. And then I think the rejoinder was uh, – they're talking about iOS 8 and iOS 9. They told court, you know, basically said, hey, you, you know, got to take this, got to do the thing you're asked to do. And they're like, we literally can't. We just, we actually cannot unlock the data. So, bah. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens when, what the judge's response is to that. This has happened earlier in the Did week. Did you see the article about the, the Department of Justice arguing that since the software is just licensed by Apple that they could actually like decrypt it if they really wanted to? Yeah. Apple's like, no, that's our that's our customer's data. And they're like, no, no, it's, no. There's the no precedent. just using the software. Yeah, there's no precedent. I'm, I'm, it's a really annoying, and I don't want to get to a political discussion because no, our listeners will go nuts if we do, but it's, it's really annoying um, uh, Let's, I mean, when you talk about uh, civil liberty, it's often something that people across the political spectrum support. And it's annoying when you have a government arguing that data that you have a clear expectation of privacy to is something they should have access to. You can get into the law and order aspect should they have to be able to, you know, you've got one hour, a nuclear bomb's going to be going off. Shouldn't the government have access to? That's a whole other thing. But when they're arguing, no, no, this private data isn't private, when they're arguing that as a categorical thing for everyone in America – I yeah. find that problematic as, as opposed to many other aspects of that argument. Yeah, the DOJ case that I just mentioned is like, you know, a drug case. So, I mean, that could happen to anyone. Yeah, but the, right. But if they make the precedent, then it's like anytime right. they want to. And any, oh, you know, hey, you were, you got a ticket for jaywalking. Well, we need the data from your phone, which is not your data. We just need to file a simple request. Uh, I remember when it came out years ago, uh, not that many years ago, that Sprint had made kind of a self-service uh, interface for law enforcement, and they'd had an unbelievable number of requests. Uh, Chris Segoyan is uh, now at the EFF, uh, I'm sorry, at the ACLU, rather. Um, he uh, had uh, went to a security conference and uh, revealed this information that was presented on the record at the conference, and everyone kind of flipped out because no one had the notion that it was being done routinely as opposed to for specific you know, investigations underway, which was a salient fact. 
Uh, all right. Well, we'll move out of the political realm into laughing at uh, at currency again. So, um, currency—it's cur- back. It's uh, it's our favorite thing to laugh at. Did it ever Susie be? And I. Yeah. It's uh, so uh, you know we have Apple Pay and then there's Android Pay and there's Samsung Pay and now there's going to be Chase Pay. But one of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. Um, yeah, I saw this flash through uh, on Monday night. Uh, Chase Pay, it's weird because they put up a, there's a deck you can go to, a presentation deck we can link in the show notes that is hilarious. You can send it merchants, not customers. And it makes it really clear how merchant oriented this is. So there's really no, like the customer benefit is it's not clunky. I'm like, I don't think you guys have used Apple Pay or Android Pay when you say this is not clunky because uh, you have to scan a QR code. It's the same thing as all the folks in the MCX. And you need the group. cashier to kind of scan the QR code for yeah, you, right? They're using the same scanner probably that they use to scan your items. So it's not like a self-serve thing. Like yeah. Apple Pay is just like, yeah, you know, I do it. I, I try to do it fast and not like draw attention to myself because I feel self-conscious doing it. But this thing, I, it, it's it's more like when I go to Starbucks and I'm like, can you scan yeah. like the thing off my screen so I get, you know, credit and then every 12 coffees i get a free coffee well, I pay, and that i'm I mean, happy to do because it's starbucks and they know that everyone's going to do that but i wouldn't want to do that like at you know Publix. i don't know well it's and i think the starbucks experience i think they they um you know quickly moved to, uh, over a very short period of time to doing a massive percentage of their uh transactions through mobile pay and this was you know in barcode based mobile pay but it's partly they got their readers repositioned the fact is you can self-pay right yeah and, yeah and i you, can just kind of flash it it was awkward. Then, you know, so you double tap on your phone, you slide up your Starbucks card and you scan it to pay. And, and then they do have fairly good rewards. They, and that's been, that was one reason why they didn't want to go to Apple Pay originally is they didn't want to uh, get outside the reward system. Now that Apple Pay incorporates the ability to link to rewards cards. Uh, I forget, Starbucks made an announcement. It's coming soon, I think. Uh, this year they're going to start rolling it out even. Uh, I can reload my Starbucks card with PayPal now. I think that uh, soon I'll be able to reload it with Apple Pay. Or maybe I'm I going to do that. Yeah, I think there's something uh, that's funny. I know it's earlier this year, but so that's but it sounds like there's a there's a plan uh, for that because you know it'll be uh, Starbucks wants anything that's more efficient, and if Apple Pay or Android Pay or Samsung Pay can provide the loyalty benefit and um, be faster, oh, I can which use it Apple be. Pay now. Sorry, yeah, I can use Apple Pay to reload it. Oh, you can. Oh, oh, you can use it to reload it within the app, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So, the next thing so I'm will be, still using I, my Starbucks card to pay, but then you know every I mean, that was uh, February. That's right. And then, uh, so. but I, I believe there's a plan now to move forward, and then that makes sense because they. But Starbucks, they were like, we don't have the technology for NFC, uh, didn't exist when they wanted to do it, so they rolled it out, and it's been. Um, last I heard, it was. I think it's gone higher than this. It was like 15 percent of all transactions in America were through that barcode thing. I think that was last year. I don't know if I've seen the latest numbers. They usually update them. Uh, yearly. So they figured it out. So the thing with Chase Pay that's confusing is it looks exactly like currency except, except two things. One is it's linked to your, or can be linked to a credit card. And my problem with currency, as I think is yours too, is if you use the uh, the flavor that was discussed before, you have to link a bank account and you're giving this third party right. bank account information and you lose some of the protections that you have. Mm-hmm. With Chase Pay, if you link it to a Chase credit card, A, you're dealing with, you know, it's first person. So a first party. So if anything goes wrong, regulators are going to be holding Chase responsible, not some other party. Second, it's a credit card, so you don't lose credit card protections unless they do some weird thing that reroutes it. Um, but the other thing is you and I were looking at the deck, and it's confusing. It says this can be used for e-commerce without any explanation of how. It, it all And their e-commerce partners are major brands like eBags and Gerber Life and um, you know 1-800-Flowers. Like, they're not Amazon. They're not Walmart. They're not uh, Target. They're not um, – 
you know, Gap, none of these outfits. These are like second tier um, uh, or even third tier e-commerce partners. They only show six or eight. It's kind of lame. But um, you and I were talking about this before the podcast. Like what I would love from online payment is I'd love to lock my credit card and say, only accept online payments from me through some mechanism that lets me verify it. And if Chase would let me do that, if they'd say, uh, my card could only be used when I approve it through their app, I'm totally into that. I would be, that would be like, great, my card number can't be stolen because it can't be processed. Now, if I travel overseas or I need to swipe it at a counter, then, you know, maybe I'm getting in trouble. But if it was online, not card present, you know, transactions had to get an app approval comp. I mean, would that make That's a difference like a for you? That's like a two-factor kind of thing. Yeah. You love those. <laughs> That's your jam. <laughs> I love those. I love any out of band. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough, I feel like, for some of these. There's so many now to, to get traction because – so with Apple, I mean, they, it's really easy. They can, they can uh, have Apple Pay work inside apps and for e-commerce because – you know, they have, it's kind of baked into the hardware. Like you can, it doesn't matter what app I'm using. I always have the touch ID button and that's always tied, you know, to my, yeah. to my Apple pay stuff that's stored on the phone. So, so, but with all these new ones, I mean, Chase pay could, you know, talk to the different phone manufacturers and try to get like one phone to be, you know, like the super awesome Chase pay phone, or <laughs> maybe they could try to use the the fingerprint sensors that are that are on the, you know, some of the Samsung phones and the Nexus phones, but Samsung's got its own payment and Google has its own payment system. So I don't know how like one of these is going to, is going to get enough, enough mind share to, to win the, the contest. Well, I wonder, like the thing that's interesting to me with, um, with all the NFC payment systems is that the companies aren't making a ton of money. Like, what is it, 15 basis points? It's some tiny amount uh, of the transaction they get. It's a very tiny amount. And that has to cover the risk because they also agreed. I know Apple was reported to agree to take on some of the fraud risk as well. So any fraud they're paying out of their tiny slice of every transaction. And, you know, even if they process a trillion dollars, it winds up being a relatively small amount of money relative to the infrastructure and whatever. So I wonder, will they object to something like a Chase Pay that's an app in their system? Because they're not, there is, if it lets you use their system, you're using an iPhone, you're, you're tied into the iPhone right. or an Android. Um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. It's, uh, but currency, I, uh, Ben Thompson, uh, I mean, uh, currency is available for iOS. I think it's not, um, in use in a lot of places. Their sites yeah, are exactly. testing so it in are, Columbus. They're allowing it. Has it has a one-star rating. I want to quote from a, a Ben Thompson, of, uh, is a, a independent uh, analyst we talked about before, uh, runs a company called Stratechery, and he has a great paid oh, newsletter. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. And um, I got his newsletter today, and I won't quote, the, I won't read the entire thing, which um, uh, you can get free, you can, you can go and look at uh, previews, but he wrote, uh, I'll jump straight to the punchline, Chase Pay will fail. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty much. And he goes into the analysis of, of why. But uh, you want to find out more? Go find, go find Stratechery. That's T E C H in the middle. Ben Thompson. Uh, another one of our favorite. Um, they used to call whipping boys. Is, is uh, things that we like to make fun of. Uh, don't know if that's an appropriate term anymore. For all I know, but it's Mac Keeper back in the news. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Good this for is them. this What's is the news. Uh, though, is the news is. This slipped by, it was actually for an IDG news story. It slipped on Macworld, but it was not, you didn't edit it, so um, don't worry. Okay. Uh, the, uh, but I have to bring them up whenever Matt Keeper comes up. You like really snuck that in here. I haven't seen this. I did. I have you know, update the notes when you're sleeping. I, I can guess. Notes. Let me guess. It's bad. 
bad it's, news. Well, no, it's actually funny. Is they negotiated a deal in a class action lawsuit to settle for two million dollars, and the lawyers right. are going to get about, I think it's seven hundred fifty grand. So that left one point two five million dollars to be split among those applying for relief. Right? They contacted. Uh, I don't know the class action lawyers or however it works. They contacted the uh, many hundreds of thousands, something like five hundred something thousand buyers who qualify, about 90% of the email addresses were valid because they were recent. And 80,000 people have so far responded, some through a phone, like a thousand through a phone number, the rest through email. And uh, the class action uh, uh, attorneys, not the ones involved, are quoted in this fine story by Jeremy Kirk, uh, noting it is extremely, use- or extremely unusual to get a response rate above one or 2%. And this is 15% so far. Wow. Uh, so instead of that 1.25 million being split and everyone getting their money back, which would be about 40 bucks, maybe a little extra, or there'd be a pool left over. So far, that's sixteen dollars each, and going down. Which one could argue that the uh, the two million dollar settlement was uh, way too low? If that many people are complaining, it's a and there's still another month to file claims. So if you were duped into paying 40 bucks for MacKeeper and you feel angry, um, there's a website that we will link. It, it's linked in the story. And, and, and we should point, yeah, this is, they, the company, the, class. the original Ukraine company that uh, created the software sold to another company that's now in Germany. And so this suit has to do with things that happened before the current ownership. But we do not recommend MacKeeper. Sometimes you will see MacKeeper ads show up through automatic networks on the Macworld site. But um, our most frequently asked question continues to be Mac911. I get 5 to 15 emails a week saying... Uh, I wound up with this installed. I did not want it. How do I remove it? Um, and that is not something we believe benefits consumers, nor is the software. Uh, I, I think it's not that it's not unuseful. It's just not particularly useful. It doesn't do anything that people need. And there's other software that does not uh, ally itself with affiliate networks that allow that uh, and get bundled in with, uh, with junkware. So uh, find something else. If you ever, yeah, if anyone ever prompts you to install MacKeeper, t- say no. Let your fr- friends and family know. Put up a billboard. Don't install MacKeeper. Sorry, but it's the truth. I'm surprised they haven't rebranded. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just rebrand it. And then, like, the, the, the components of it are, I mean, there's a bunch of these, like, Mac cleaning suites. And a lot, you know, most of the other ones are, are legit that I know of. So... Yeah, I've talked yeah. to people who use it. I mean, there's, you know, split the, it up into parts, do something. We have less cruft than we used to, but I've run some of these packages to test, and I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, the other day I wrote a Mac 911 trying to help someone with an odd problem, and I'm and I was like, oh well, you should look in, uh, you know, library uh, startup items and library or uh, uh, launch demons and launch agents, and I'm looking at these folders, and I'm like, my goodness, I have stuff in here from 2011, 2012 that I have not used in four years. I don't know, is it loading? At startup, it might be because this explains some strange system problems because I have cruft. So it's not unusual if you've been upgrading over years uh, to have nonsense. Or, you know, I ran a, oh, I'll have to look up the software name. It's a what size. I wrote a review of uh, that months ago and it does deduping and it found both, um, it shows you what size everything takes. So um, I was able to examine directories and see really easily that I had tens of gigabytes of stuff I didn't need that was archived elsewhere or, you know, had cache files, duplicates of the same thing. I was able to use that software and uh, remarkably free up, I forget what it was, it's like 50 or 60 gigabytes of storage on on an SSD that, you know, now it has 100 gigs free instead of 50. 
Um, yeah, I mean, those things can be really useful, and and Matt Keeper can do that stuff. It's just the problem is that it will tell you that you have all these like harmful files. It's like definition of harmful files is crazy. Like it'll say that like spare language files could like harm your computer, but really when you get them, like that could mess up other things. And well, if, if, if you actually did delete them, and and then it just worms into your stuff. It installs like browser extensions and. Like highlights the word Mac Keeper every time you like see it on the internet. Ugh. So you're like Googling trying to get rid of it and there's like all these ads for it coming up all over the place. It's really terrible. Well, One of my friends mm-hmm. installed it by accident the other day and I went over to her. I had to go over to her house and like help her get rid of it and it was a whole ordeal. Well, we, you know, it's also, I see, I get pop-up ads for them. I visit less savory sites. I'm visiting, you know, news sites that are turn out not to be news sites, you know, because Google's results are still sometimes polluted. You're like, oh, I need to find out about the story. You click, you go to a site. I'm like, oh, this is just aggregating another story. And then, oh, now I have a pop-under. What's the pop-under from? Oh, it's from MacKeeper. And they claim they still have affiliate relationships. They may not be placing all these ads, but the ads basically say, hey, your system's infected, or they imply it is. And not cool, guys. So we yeah. will continue our uh, statement, which is don't install it. And uh, if you bought it and didn't and need to. And they get to, mad at us every time we tell you guys that. That's tough tiddlywinks. They need to stop. They need to stop using affiliates. There are very, 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 very few pieces of software, none I can think of, that are legitimate that sell through affiliates as opposed to selling through channels like stores. You know, selling through an electronic store through Amazon as a digital download is one thing. Uh, using affiliates to push your software is a tactic that only pushes software that does not need people don't need. That is what I say. A happier story, um, as I stated at the outset of this podcast, um, I've been lording it over everybody that I got gigabit internet because I suck. <laughs> I suck. He keeps posting his upload and download <laughs> speeds <laughs> in our Slack, and we're like, yes, yes, proud we are of all of them. Uh, well, you know, my situation, which I've talked about, I won't go in depth, is that I had. Um, I was in the Comcast, like the, what do you call the opposite of the sweet spot? Like the shame hole is what we call it. The <laughs> it's like the, um, it's like I had business class service from Comcast. So the Comcast deal right now is they, they, uh, you know, our good friend, Josh centers at tidbits, uh, he's in Kentucky and he had home service, but he's a tech writer like us. He's doing all kinds of gigabyte stuff. And, um, he uh, started incurring overages cause he's in one of the few markets that Comcast is testing, charging you extra money. If you go over, I don't remember what it is, 300 like gigabytes back now. in the dark ages when you had to dial up and pay per minute. Like, we're never going oh, back to that, are we? I don't want to do that again. No. Well, and it's one thing. Like, in the days when we had five megabit per second over one megabit per second service, five down, one up, having a cap or a or a limit of a few hundred gigabytes made sense because 99.5% of all users never hit it. But they also, they wanted to make sure people weren't abusing the network. Uh, But as speeds went up, the companies didn't raise it. So you can buy 150 megabit per second service downstream and still have a 300 gigabyte limit, which you could blow through in a few days. And if you're doing online posted backups, you're doing photo syncing. I mean, I sync 200 gigs of photos. Uh, If you're using a new, I've got a 12 megapixel camera that makes 12 megabyte files for my iPhone 6S, right? And you'd have to be such a nerd to be able to like do that in your head. At least when it was minutes, like people understand what a minute is, but like (laughs) expecting just, you know, any old person to know like that downloading a movie is going to take more than, you know, emailing a photo and just, just 
different relative file sizes and how they all add up over the course of a month. Like, forget yeah, it. That's it, that's just torture and, and mean. If the cap or the limit were, say, even if it was 500 gigabytes, it would sweep in a lot fewer people. If it was one terabyte, it would be 99.999% of all users would never hit it. It wouldn't affect network infrastructure. And the people who were were probably misusing the network. Like, I accept that if you're if you agree you won't run a server and you're running a server and you're, you know, using flat out your full upstream speed to people, you know, maybe that's not cool. Maybe then you need the business service or whatever. So, so there could be like a thing where if you reach this certain thing, you get kind of audited and they try to make sure, yeah, that you're not doing those kind of egregious things. Oh, but, fine. But yeah, so yeah. Comcast has, so they have home service is not, I think right now there is no technical cap on it, although they may still talk to you if you have I don't have it. a cap. Yeah, so but there, there was a cap for a bit and there wasn't a cap, but now they're testing overages in certain markets. And in the <sighs> business service, there's no overage, but they lock you into multi-year contracts if you change your service level. So I have an 18 over 3 service that costs uh, 60 bucks a month with business because I was hitting caps because I'm a writer and I was uploading hundreds of gigabytes a month for uh, online hosting tests. So I'm like, all right, this isn't great, but it's comparable. I'll cope. Now, for the same money on the home size, I think I thought I could get 50 over 15 from Comcast, but they refuse to guarantee they won't put overages in in Seattle, which I understand. They haven't made their business plans yet, but so they can't talk me into anything. So I'm like, all right, well, I need another option. CenturyLink comes, as I've said in previous podcasts, CenturyLink is like the (laughs) – I feel terrible for CenturyLink because what they did is they bought up lots of copper wire and DSL and <laughs> a bunch of different states and they've merged with other old uh, telephone companies. Uh, and this is, you know, we had, uh, oh gosh, like what we're was We're building it? our empire. Well, we were US West at some point and then, because uh, we were Baby Bell, and then it became Quest. They merged with Quest and there was all that corruption and uh, uh, various litigation about Quest's books and uh, uh, Quest had the CEO who said that the government was forcing him to do stuff in a trial, but there's no proof of it. And then uh, Quest got bought by, I think it was CenturyTel uh, or CenturyLink. And then there's, uh, I can't remember, somebody Link merged with Century. So we're like on our fourth company over 15 years. And CenturyLink is aggressively putting fiber out in Seattle and a few other places because it's the only way they're going to survive is to get people off cable modems, which have the highest speed. Because DSL is, uh, it's not a dead technology, but it's, in a lot of places, it's just been passed by. And there's new flavors of DSL that are faster. But if you're not close to a central office, like we're um, – I learned uh, 20 years ago that my house is uh, 15,000 what they call wire feet from the central office. And uh, DSL in 1997, they could give us like one and a half megabits per second over 768 kilobits per second. In uh, 2015, they can give you up to 40 megabits per second. In my neighborhood, it's like one or two. So – um, we're still dealing with the fact that we are literally three wire miles from a central office. <laughs> it's a problem. You know, it's a historical problem. So there's strain fiber up all the place. I'm watching it go up. And um, and uh, the, here's the deal. So no caps, no overages, true gigabit. I could have paid for 100 megabits per second symmetrical, but it wasn't that much cheaper. And I'm like, if I'm going to go for the gusto, I want to try this out. I want to know what it's like to live in the future. I'm a tech writer. What's it like to have fiber? And uh, – I go to sign up. I'm not a CenturyLink customer. I have an AT&T home. You know those AT&T home lines? You don't have one of those, right? It's yes, a, I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is – um. well, you, you, I've been talking forever. You, talk, you tell people what the AT&T home line is because I'm – I am dominating this conversation talking about my What's own just service. the phone line? Like a landline? <laughs> yeah. The, well, oh, you have a – oh, I forget. You're in AT&T territory. I have a cell – I have AT&T wireless home oh, service. Oh, I don't have that. 
I don't know what that is. It's a. <laughs> it's basically a cell phone in a box. They put a SIM in a little box that oh, has a. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you plug it in the wall. We it's got a, about this. a little bit of a battery backup in it, I think, and uh, it gives you the equivalent of a home dial tone, and it even has a fake dial tone, which is hilarious. Um, but you can plug it into your system. So we're paying with tax and everything else, probably about like thirty dollars a month for our AT and T home service, and we're paying sixty dollars a month for our AT or Comcast business. So roughly ninety dollars a month. Uh, with tax. And um, uh, so I go to CenturyLink's site to sign up and it says, um, okay, well, you know, do you want all these things? Do you want cable and video? And what I'm like, no, no, I just want fiber. I'm like, okay, click fiber. It's like, oh, that's $180 a month. And I'm thinking, that's funny. I thought it was cheaper. I added a phone line to it. It drops by $50 a month. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, the reason is welcome to the uh, it costs them so much to maintain their copper plant that like they call like their you know physical infrastructure. It's cheaper for them to have me bring a phone line in over fiber than to like they're getting me to take service away from somewhere else. So I'm taking they're taking me as a customer. Uh, I'm uh, they're denying money to Comcast or AT and T uh, because I'm not a customer of theirs now, right? So mm-hmm. I'm no longer paying them for phone service. And they don't have to put copper in, so it costs them practically nothing to provision a virtual phone line for me over fiber. So uh, that's why they can afford to sell it to me for 130 bucks a month. So the differential is, you know, with tax, it'll be about 40 something dollars a month. And I feel as this is my profession and I have spent so much time, so much time staring at screens and downloads. And uh, remember our discussion about um, uh, iCloud photo library and how it would, you know, totally flood your bandwidth and i couldn't get stuff done when i was syncing icloud photo library i'd test google photos and it would flood it would did not flood my bandwidth but still fill it up uh just trying to back up i had a i moved a hard drive and i used crash plan and i was it took uh like a month to catch up with backups for crash plan because i had gigabytes to upload over a three megabit per second connection while also you know occasionally trying to do something else over it so i got the fiber susie it's in. Amazing. I'm jealous. I've got the Comcast. It works fine when it works. And then when it doesn't work, we're screwed. <laughs> That's yeah, I know. This is the uh yeah, it's it's funny. Um I mean we I have you know, a little app that gives me a on my phone that gives me a, an estimate for when it'll be back on. Oh yeah, yeah. It's only happened a couple times where I was like working on the website and then it goes down and I'm like, Oh great, can't work on the website now. Uh, well I've used a lot of tethering and uh uh f- uh colleague at the wire cutter nathan edwards uh just had um i love him oh well, that's good that's good i feel a small little community aren't we? and uh nathan he went um, to northwestern we used to work together when he was at maximum pc and i was at mac Life. oh okay well he so he uh his house almost burned down well not quite i'm, I'm exaggerating oh my God. no Com- his comcast service started sparking they did something to it and he started having literal sparks it like tripped his circuit breaker or his um surge protector wow had literal sparks coming off external comcast wiring and now i think we're two weeks in he finally got it fixed today he had to call the power company he's had five people from comcast oh come i out. saw some tweets about having like five or six texts to his oh, yeah. house because one That's... person will come out and say this is a problem they send the second person out the second person says it's not a problem turns out the second person was the one who miswired it third person comes out and says oh this <laughs> is really a problem <laughs> fourth person comes out and says well maybe i'll be able to fix i think the fourth person might have fixed it maybe the fifth person yeah, the I think person the didn't have the gone, right tools. The sixth the person, person was really a dog. The seventh yeah, so person this is, was. Right, this is what happens when you have a monopoly situation. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, so like when I called Comcast to cancel, by the way, it was a very funny call because I was expecting, you know, if you, 
uh, Google. Oh, yeah, you get like a bottle of pretzels and some water and you're like, you're yeah, you're like, I'm just going to be here for a while. I'll well, be on hold for two hours. I got my book. I got my feet up. Like, it's this is going to be a while. And then you're going to have to fight them. Google Ryan Block listeners and listen to his call with uh, with Comcast and the person who literally refused to let him cancel his service. Uh, it's very amusing. His, his wife, uh, Veronica Belmont, was so agitated by the call she handed it off to him because the person was being unreasonable then ryan recorded it and it went viral because uh it was and it actually forced comcast to admit that they needed to change their policies about retention um in my case it was easy because a i was on business and they give you less of a hassle uh, on the business side because their, their cancellation policy in business you have to sign multi-year contracts 75 percent cancellation policy for the value of the contract Ooh. Yeah. So let's say you've, you know, signed it for two years, you use a year and you know, I don't know. You out of contract? No, no. I I was off contract. My contract expired a couple of years ago. But if I was on contract, let's say I had the equivalent of a thousand dollars in monthly fees left, I would have to pay them $750. i am convinced that I would be able to fight that and, um, and not have to pay it, but it would be a hassle. And Comcast was sort of the only game in town. So I wasn't going to mess with that. So I call Comcast. I get routed to a retention person pretty fast. And I'm like, hey, look, I'm going to make this easy on you. I didn't record this. I'm going to make this easy on you. I just signed up for uh, fiber. I have it in my house. I have gigabit per second internet. You guys don't offer that in Seattle yet. If you did, I'd be talking to you about it, but you don't. And he's like, oh. I'm like, so, you know, I know you're authorized to give me discounts and talk me into whatever, but, you know, I'm getting service that's 100 times faster, 50 times faster than you can offer. And he's like, Oh, okay. And, that was, and then we had this conversation. She's like, really? Have you done speed tests? I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's you know, literally nothing you could give me yeah. that would make me want to stay. It's so like, let's nothing. just make I'm this like, easy. No. And he's like, he's like, you just don't offer the service. And that sort of diffused me. He sounded kind of defeated because they get some – if they cock me into yeah, it, you get some money. Yeah, usually people are like, oh, it's too expensive. I'm not watching enough cable. And they're like, well, we'll just give you more cable for cheaper and it'll and be like, great. I don't want, but... They're always like, don't you want more TV? And I'm like, I don't watch – no, I don't do yeah. TV. I do like online TV. And like, really? Like, no, I don't want that. So anyway, so the cancellation, it actually took less than 10 minutes. It was very polite. The guy was really interested in it. And I said, look, you know, I like competition. When you guys, your guys are rolling out, we've written uh, a number of stories at, at Macworld and IDG about uh, Comcast planning one and even two gigabit per second service around the country. Uh, I think the last word, what was it? Uh, was it Mark or Jared? One of the IDG folks was uh, saying, I think Comcast wants to charge $300 a month for one gig service. But if they try to come into this market with that, now, I mean, the deal is, CenturyLink is only covering a small part of Seattle. And the question I have is like, you know, are they going to be able to afford, can they get the capital as a company that's basically a copper based company in a, uh, in an economy where cable is one on the um, modem and broadband side um, and for delivery of content, you know, can they switch to fiber fast enough? And uh, we'll see. Um, I'm going to write something up about the experience of having Giga. Not like other people haven't, but it's new to me. And um, <laughs> I've had relatively he low speed. He just wants to make us jealous in written and spoken form. Yes. I've, I feel like I've had relatively low speed service over 20 years because I was on DSL and then slower cable. At one point, had sort of faster cable at home and then had this. And I feel like I've been stalled. So um, I have. I think my service, my 18 over 3, is worse than a lot of people with cable modem service now. So now you're I'm, never going to leave home again. It's going to be like when you go retina and then all your other screens start looking like, you know, terrible and low res and crappy. You're oh, going to go it's... like to a hotel or a convention or something. And you're just going to be like smashing your phone against your face. Like, no, why it's, is it so slow? It's awful. Well, so I'll, I'll give a few observations. Uh, and then like, I said, I'm going to write something up about like what the limits are. Cause part of it is, so I set the thing up and I'm like, gosh, you know, before the technician leaves, I'm testing it. I'm thinking, you know, I'm only getting 70 or 80, 
megabits per second each way. It's like, really? Well, you should. You know, some of the testers, and this is true, some of the speed test software doesn't do gigabit. And you, you actually should find one. Like, you can search. Right, because it's like the top number is 100 or 150 or even 300. It's like a thermometer that only goes up to 95. Yeah, it's those old cartoons. Crack to the burst to the top. Um, the mercury But if you search on Go- the top. Google Fiber Speed Test, they have a test that's specifically designed to, like, test fiber level speeds. And, and it even asks you, are you on a wired connection or wireless and adjust things. So I've got 802.11 AC in my home uh, on one router, and I've got N on the others. Uh, And AC can do up to a raw rate of almost 900 megabits per second. Uh, And effectively, it can do, you know, like three to 500, maybe even 600 megabits per second in ideal circumstances. I'm like, okay, that's cool. My main work computer, I have directly wired via gigabit, right? Ethernet. So I'm testing this out. What's wrong? And then I realized I got an old airport base station downstairs that I use as an extender and I plug the ethernet through it. So I don't use it for Wi-Fi. really. It's only a hundred megabit per second Wi-Fi <laughs> hub. <laughs> it's that old. I've had it for a while. It still works. It's like a 2013, 2000, it's a single band, like 2012 model or something or 2000, uh, even before that. So it's silly. So I'm like, all right, now I got to, oh, okay, well now I better buy a new router because, you know, and there, and there it goes. Um, but I wound up buying, uh, instead of buying another airport, uh, AC, which is almost just like $180, uh, I don't need all the features in that. So I wound up buying the Archer C7 from TP-Link, which is the, one of the top reviewed, uh, a lot of different uh, sites like at Wirecutter. I think, uh, our, our, uh, my Mike Brown likes it quite a bit. And, um, it gets terrific reviews. It's 90 bucks. And it's one of those web-based configuration things that it's like a 4,000 billion options. Um, but, you know, the basics are easy to set. And so I'm using that almost as a pass-through thing. I have it down here. I have it plugged into a modem that I have to get from CenturyLink because it does special enterprise-like things to talk to the optical terminal. Uh, and a friend of mine is working on finding a way around that where um, we could use a different router that uh, and uh, take one piece out of the equation. Um, but, uh, yeah, the big thing that I found, um, you know, I, we can post a screen capture you want. You know, I posted the 500 uh, megs down, almost uh, like over 600 up. Um, he put it in the show notes, so I'd have to, like, sit here and look uh, at it the whole time that we're talking. Oh, I'm so, he I'm really so wants us to know so that his evil. internet is very fast. Uh, but the thing that's <laughs> interesting, you know, in practice, there's a lot of latency and there's a lot of other sites that are throttled. So you have all these parameters, like CenturyLink's connection between me and the rest of the internet, how much do they have? Do they have terabits? I don't know. If they suddenly have a lot of people with fiber, we're all crowding that thing. Like we all have gigabit on their network. That's great. But we're reaching out. So depending on what CenturyLink – so, you know, we've, we've talked about before content distribution networks or CDNs. These are networks that basically put resources closer to network uh, congestion points. So uh, at Apple runs one now. They started one, was it last year or year before even? Um, and so many different companies, uh, Akamai is one of the most uh, well-known, but a lot of companies run these networks. And they basically, uh, they host content, essentially have servers that sit inside of ISP and other networks. So CenturyLink has this bottleneck. It's between CenturyLink and the rest of the internet. And they can only, you know, they can only afford some amount. Maybe it is terabits or whatever per second. If you put a box that has like every iTunes movie and you put it inside CenturyLink's network, suddenly we can all access that at, you know, a hundred times faster than if we have to go over that bottleneck to an Apple server somewhere else. And this is true for lots of things. So clearly Apple does not have this deal with CenturyLink because I tried to download a four gig movie and it took four minutes. 
cry for me. Um, it should have been 10 seconds. <laughs> I want right? it now. I want it. it should have been 10 seconds. So there's a bottleneck there and CDNs help resolve this for big content, big static content like that. So the thing that I'm most surprised by is that uh, it's the internet doesn't seem incredibly, uh, I want to say the internet does not seem incredibly fast relative to what it was. It's just that nothing stands in my way. Nothing. Uh, I'm not hitting the same kind of, um, I'm not hitting the same. Internet, same sense of power increased. Exactly. Nothing will stand in my way. So I'll write more about this, but it's, uh, it's like nothing takes extra time now. I'm never waiting for something, but it's still going through the process. Those autoplay videos are starting like that. Yeah, boom, and they're done. They play super fast. Uh, Big thing I discovered, (laughs) Firefox for Mac and Safari are now really different speeds. Firefox is much slower. If I use yeah. Safari, and I, I used to avoid Safari because Safari had those weird, you know, the form problems where it would uh, refill. Safari's up. awesome now. Yeah, it's come a long way. And I, I kind of avoided it because I have bookmarks and other things. And so I'm gradually, I've been switching my default over to Safari. Uh, and I use Safari. And it's like the page comes, I'll go to a page and it goes, boom, and it's up. And I use Firefox. And it's like, do, 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 load, load, load. And I've disabled extensions to make sure I don't have Firefox extensions. And Firefox, I think, still has uh, memory leaks because it gets slower and slower, and then so, you know I have to quit it and start it up again. So uh, it's interesting to see where the bottlenecks are. So I'm not—I don't feel as much like I'm living in the future, but it is awfully nice. Like especially when I need to upload, you know, like a gigabyte file, which I sometimes do, or even a hundred meg file, then it uploads and just you know it does upload in seconds or a minute, and instead of me spending an hour and having my entire bandwidth throttled and I can't do other things. Um, I feel like I can make back that $40 a month as a freelancer pretty easily. Cool. So that's the gigabit story. So folks, uh, foment, foment revolution. Everyone deserves gigabit. We, most people in most cities uh, and in most suburbs should be able to get fiber. And the fact that we can't is a failure in national policy. Our national pride should allow us all to have fiber. Some countries have done it. They made it a priority. They said... The market can't support this. The infrastructure costs are too huge. So we're going to create neutral approach where the infrastructure is built as either a public utility or a shared expense. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these different retail operators who they can all compete on end services and customer support and and provisioning and phones and video and all that. And uh, we have chosen this country to not pursue that route. The end of my rant. Yeah, what? my um, my suburb of the Bay Area. I, I live on the border of Oakland and San Leandro and San Leandro is doing um, like what you were talking about. They're doing uh, fiber internet for businesses because they're trying to attract startups and actually being really intelligent about it. So they have a public-private partnership that offers fiber, uh, fiber optic internet to just to businesses. So it, it's not around for consumers yet, but you know, maybe a few more years. It's, it's going to be, and people want it and people will pay for it. And I mean, when CenturyLink, they put fiber, it was actually strung on a pole near my house in June. And I kept, I got, there's a local you contact. You had FiberWatch for months. Oh my God. There's local contact on Twitter. And they're like, hey, what can I do to help you? And I'm like, I have money in my hand. I want to give, it's literally like, I have money to give you. <laughs> I will write the money. check. Take, and they're like, oh, we're working on it late October. And then suddenly it was available. A neighbor who was waiting on the same thing. He like instantly, he's like, I'm getting, I got mine on Thursday. He's like, I'm getting mine on Saturday. And. We're all just so excited. But so the money is there. Like people will pay more. Uh, you know, people, let's say not everybody will, but a lot of people who are relying on the internet for uh, you know, entertainment, for other things, um, you know, for work. So many people work from home. Uh, my neighbor across the alley, she's like, how's that fiber? And I'm like, I sent her a screen capture. She's like, you're lying. I'm like, nope, this is what you get. And uh, so we'll see. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about, if you don't mind. 
Do you mind? No, I don't mind. Okay. Uh, situation Talking came on up. the podcast, what did, what did we say about that? Well, we try not to keep it too long, and I've been ranting about fiber. Uh, I'm sure I will get hate mail now. Stop. You jerk. Rant on, my brother. You're jerking your fiber. Um, uh, I wrote a, a private eye last week, a private, private eye column about one password because uh, interesting situation came up, which was um, someone was not really, I wouldn't say accusing them, but uh, someone wrote a blog post and said, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize one password, uh, it's data vault format, reveals a ton of metadata, uh, like, you know, URLs and usernames and all kinds of information. And I had no idea. And like, and then the guy goes and looks at their documentation. It's like, this has been true since they developed the format in 2008. And they have a new format, but they don't force you to use it. And the new format is much better. And um, it was good. He didn't accuse people. He didn't accuse one password of lying or uh, being insecure, but he said, you know, what's the deal? You've got a better format. And uh, he said he was still going to be a customer, but he was kind of unhappy about the state of things. And one password had a good response. They're like, yeah, well, look, you know, A, uh, your vault should be kept private. You know, he pointed out that the format let you use it over the web. So some people would host their web, their uh, vault on a public website they had access to, maybe password protected. Uh, and then you could access it without having the 1Password software. You could use it through uh, JavaScript. Um, you could access it over a website. And that's why that format was built. And they basically abandoned that approach. They decided once you had mobile, it wasn't needed anymore, and it introduced too much insecurity. So 1Password's like, look, you know, we don't recommend people do this, and uh, we do have a new format. And uh, But you're right. Like, we should be migrating people to this new format sooner. And they needed to get all of their different versions up to date. Now, everything but the Android version uh, can use this new format called OP Vault. That is one uh, password vault, I assume. That still leaks a tiny bit of metadata. It has like uh, folder names and categories, and date stamps are not encrypted in it. But that's very thin compared to the other. Uh, and uh, uh, but you know, I my, my my issue was of the hundreds of thousands or millions of one password vaults out there because it's not a web-based tool like uh, LastPass has um, its competitor has both uh, web-based access to your vaults as well as uh, native apps for um, various platforms, including iOS and Mac. Uh, because it's not designed as an online format like that, I wonder how many 1Password vaults have ever been accessed, and they're still encrypted, of course, for all the passwords are encrypted. How many have been accessed ever, right? I mean, someone has to steal your password vault, or they have to gain access if you put it on a website and you didn't realize it was public. Um, or they break into your Dropbox, basically. Uh, so um, I'm not sure how much of a problem this is. I mean, I think it's. I think I'm glad it was heightened. I'm glad their response was we're going to start migrating people much more quickly to this new format. We're going to encourage it instead of because it requires a little bit of hassle and people have to relink your archives and so forth, their vaults. Um, but I don't know. Does it does it worry you this kind of situation? I'm kind of you know on the inside where I'm like, well, the metadata blah, 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 blah. But does it does it cause you any concerns? Not really. I mean, I guess if someone could see where I had passwords, even if they couldn't see the passwords, but they could see what, you know, sites or services they were and like what my username was, if someone was really targeting me very strongly and then they could, you know, try to brute force those those passwords, but but that would be such a targeted attack that I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm more worried about things where like a whole service gets breached and it's a massive data dump of stuff that has your data in it. But um, that is not what's happened with last password, well, one password. So I'm still using it. I still trust it. I thought their response was very reasonable. Um, I haven't checked to make sure I'm using the new thing, uh, the new system, but I probably am because I, 
haven't been using it for more oh, than a couple of years. So. Are you syncing via iCloud or Dropbox? Dropbox. Uh, okay, so if you use, and this is the other thing, if you use iCloud for sync, uh, then uh, it won't work, it would not work with certain versions. So if you were an Android and Mac user, I don't think you could use uh, iCloud anyway because you couldn't log in from Android. What am I saying? Yeah. Right. So you ha- if you're in the Apple ecosystem and everything is synced via iCloud, the format is already the new OP Vault uh, oh, okay. format. So that's the other advantage, right? So that that's but that's inside the ecosystem. They have Windows, Android, uh, iOS, and uh, uh, OS 10 clients, and for compatibility, that was the issue. But so I just I was not using this new format. Uh, didn't realize the issue, and I just switched over to a couple clicks here and there. And because the uh, Vault format, uh, the actual contents didn't change, I didn't have to go through a lengthy sync operation. I just changed the format, relinked it in all the different places I use it, and it was like churn, churn, churn for about three seconds. Like, great, you're up to date because none of the actual data had changed, just the uh, way in which the data was encrypted inside the Vault. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go check to make sure I'm using the new one. Yeah, it's a very simple, they have instructions on their site and that's linked from my private eye column, what you can do. It's just a few steps to do. Just make sure you're not using an outdated Windows client or using Android and you'll be fine. Uh, LastPass had a breach, you know, a few months ago. We wrote about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Their vaults, the vaults weren't stolen. Um, their vaults also contain unencrypted metadata uh, encoded in Base64, which sort of obscures, but it's not a actual deterrent. Um, but the deal is, you know, A, the vaults weren't stolen and B, their passwords that were stolen were properly uh, secure. They used uh, an algorithm that takes so long, even for the most determined hackers, to test through passwords that uh, it turns out, turns out, uh, that they did everything right. And so the last pass, even with a total breach, uh, really didn't leak enough information to be useful. I mean, it leaked email addresses and some other things, but so far it does not seem like there was a repercussion from it, um, which is what can happen even when you have the worst case scenario and that's uh, that's key. So See, when we focus on security, we really can keep things more or less secure, mostly. Yeah. Well, if you make the right, Yay. you make the right choices in certain areas, then even a breach doesn't actually have uh, the impact. You know, it's they weren't st- no, as opposed to companies storing credit cards in unencrypted form and passwords using a really thin, easily cracked method. If you do it right, then you don't leak much data. Uh, this in this circles back to our credit card discussion too. Is the whole advantage of all of these NFC systems is they're token-based, and we're seeing more of that, is you're not leaking your credit card information. Even if someone gets a hold of a transaction from your iPhone, um, even if that were possible, and they get all the details, it doesn't give them very much. It doesn't give them much they can do with, and even if they can, it's like it can be automatically detected and, and, um, and fixed. So um, it's not perfect, of course, but it's at such a higher level of protection than whatever you have uh, now that's just moving towards, uh, you know, what it means is thieves are going to work on, they're going to have smaller and smaller <laughs> slices of stuff to work on. There's going to be weak points. You know, we were talking about this with the credit card thing. It's like with the shift to uh, chip-based uh, credit cards for in-person transactions, gr- you know, uh, gas stations and convenience stores are going to be totally, totally bleeped <laughs> because um, – if they don't have upgraded systems, it's exactly where the thieves are going to go. They're going to go there and get gift cards and other high dollar stuff they can sell using, you know, cards because it's the weak spot. So we're going to see the same thing anywhere. It's like as security gets better, the weak points get exposed and they get totally hammered and destroyed. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, to a secure future. Listeners don't know, but a fire alarm interrupted this podcast. Can you tell the point <laughs> at which There's we shifted? There's no fire. It was just there was a no drill. fire. Just a fire alarm. This is just a drill. Uh, 
Well, I, I didn't know it was just a drill, so I actually went outside like you're an so idiot. Good. No, I'm just kidding. So I followed the instructions like a good worker bee. That's good. That's good. To, you know, get, set your good example for kids. Kids, yes. there's a fire drill. Even if you're in college. Fun facts for nerds. When we have a fire drill here at MacWorld HQ, we uh, our meetup place, our safe meetup place, is across the street in the park of South Park, which is where Twitter was invented. Ah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And then you tweet about fires from there. Yes. There was no fire. Uh, I did tweet while I was outside. I, uh, someone, someone responded to my tweet about there being a fire alarm that podcasts are so hot right now. Oh, I know it wasn't me. I did it's not terrible say that. pun Tuesday. So terrible pun Tuesday. good job. TTP. No, wait, that's not right. TPT. There we go. I'll, uh, I'll hashtag that immediately. Susie. Great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again as well. And, uh, next week we'll be back to talk about Apple TV and, yep. um, and, uh, Probably 40 other products Apple decides to know. No, no. Be, uh, we'll, look, we'll look at the flood. Whatever new apps come out. I mean, they got people poised. The they, TV I got the, and the iPad Pro and the pencil and the keyboard. Are, yeah, well, iPad Pro, we don't have a, they don't have a ship year. date yet. We're waiting for a ship date, right? Not yet. Yeah, so that it could be. It should be pretty soon, I bet. I mean, I don't actually know. I'm just I'm just. I'm going to plug myself into a Thunderbolt connection and see what happens. Uh, until next week. <laughs> Wait, thanks, okay. Susie. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 480. We're approaching 500 episodes uh, for October 28, 2015. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Find us at macworld.com and leave your comments there or send email to podcast at macworld.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.